Welcome to the Tax Alpha Solutions Podcast, hosted by Matt Chancy. Matt is a tax consultant, author, and certified financial planner with almost two decades helping his clients grow their net worth. On the show, Matt brings together an array of specialists to share with you their experience and success along with strategies of the 1%. Matt Chancy is with Coastal One, member FINRA SIPC. And now, here's your host, Matt Chancy. You know there's people in China somewhere watching Shark Tank going, that's a really good idea. We'll reverse engineer that whole thing. Right? Yeah, exactly. Like we've just, we've already, yeah, we've already made so. And the thing about Amazon, what I always say, what I think is, I think the scary thing about Amazon, I warn people about is that, you know, imagine if you went into any gro- any store like a Walmart or a Target and imagine like you scan something or Costco and it told you exactly how much it sold. Right. Yeah, that's crazy. Right. Well, Amazon does that, right? So when, right. so when Amazon gets accused of competing against sellers, it's arguments. Well, we really don't. One, all stores have store brands. Two, the data we use is the same data everybody else uses, right? In other words, we may use data from sales sellers in the aggregate to decide whether or not to go into a certain product, but it's no different than the data that any other seller would have, right? So, you know, if you're making a certain widget and that widget's just doing gangbusters and top ranking, like Amazon's going to tell the world that. Right. They're telling you that, look how much this is ranking and look how much. And so there's, you know, programs out there like Helium 10 and Carbon 6. There's these programs out there that can tell you, you know, to a pretty significant degree, how much money this person's making. Right. You can kind of fill in and you can, and then you can kind of go on Alibaba and say, okay, well, what's the cost to make it? If I want, you know, just a rough estimate. So that's why I always tell my clients when they were selling their business, I'm like, you know, the NDAs are great and we should have them, but. Let's be honest, like they can reverse engineer. They probably have and should have reverse engineered your business. Like they 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 can figure it out, right? Amazon tells you everything. So they tell Amazon's basically sending a bat signal to China saying, hey, make this cheaper. That's what they're doing. <laughs> if you want to know why they're doing that, is because you have to understand Amazon's business model. Amazon is Costco. Yeah. People don't really get that. Amazon is Costco. And what do I mean by that? Does that mean Amazon sells really big things and really bulky things? And ship them to your house? No, that would be ridiculous, right? That's not a good business model to ship giant things to your house. It's actually really expensive. But what I think, you know, being both Seattle companies, I think somebody at Amazon went to Costco one day and said, you know what? Hey, this membership fee thing is a good idea. And we can use the money from that to build out a lot of things. What I believe Amazon's motive is, is that the prime member is their God. They worship Everything they do is for the benefit of the prime member as a as a class, right? So having the cheapest stuff in the universe is really important because that's what makes the prime member happy, right? If a prime member buys an avocado peeler from Amazon and they see one at their local Costco or Walmart for more, for cheaper, they're pissed off, right? So Amazon's doing direct from China where the margins are razor thin because the factories in China don't need to make a lot of money. Right. Um, and that's why there's always China. I mean, if you look at ink cartridges on Amazon, right, dominated by China, like the first like 10 pages are dominated. Like you're not going to see a, a U.S. company branding their own ink cartridges uh, for a while. On Amazon. I mean, there's no money. They, like, like there's certain categories that just get taken over. Well, but they were overcharging for that for so long and it was an abusive practice. Right. And now, the American companies, right? The American companies were. But then there were the undercutters. And then like in any industry, right? And those were the American private labelers, right? The undercutters. But then the China companies came in and really undercut them. 
And to the point where now it's like, there's no American company left really making this stuff anymore. Like they're, they're American. It's, it's, it's probably just in uh, Wyoming, LLC fronting a China operation. Um, not that that's even necessary anymore. Um, so it's just, that's the, the, that's the environment we're in. It's like Amazon will do whatever it can to promote the product. That's why it hates like the one thing, you know, the one big no, no on Amazon is a couple like, don't sell a product on your website for less than you sell it on Amazon. There's actually a lawsuit about this. They're being accused of price fixing. Don't sell a product on Amazon if you're retail arbitrager lower than you can find it in a Google search. Because what Amazon doesn't want to see is like, okay, let's say I look for a, you know, a, a Columbia hoodie, a Columbia North Face or North Face hoodie. Let's yeah. say it's a North Face hoodie. If I put that North Face hoodie into Google and I see it cheaper somewhere else, Amazon hits our clients with what what are called pricing errors. You must have possibly, you could have possibly priced it at this meant that price because we found it cheaper at these websites, right? Amazon wants you to break their minimum advertised pricing policies. They want you to break. That's why they love resellers because they do. Um, they want you to sell things at the lowest possible price because that's what makes Prime members feel value. If Prime members feel like they can get a better deal outside of Amazon, especially online. It's no good. It's no good. Now, well, and Amazon's all about the subscription, right? Right. It's all about, it's, right. We just want that reoccurring monthly value. revenue. Right. Because you're going to question the value of why am I subscribing to this if I can just go on Google and find it. Now, the fact that it's on a clearance rack in Walmart, I think Amazon accepts that. You know, you're not going to, you know, the, I don't think the average Prime member goes to the Walmart clearance rack. Because if you did, you'd be surprised what you'd find. It's actually quite remarkable. I still got like it drives my wife crazy when I go to Walmart with her because I'll just I'll just go straight to the clearance rack and I'll sit there with my phone and like even though I'm out of arbitrage like it's so tempting you know you'll find things <laughs> like you know I, I mean I could tell you stories of deals I found like I can make twenty bucks on this and there's forty of them here <laughs> exactly per right I have done that when I was a GE I was doing that a little bit on the side because I was just for fun it was just like a sport I, I said I'd do it for sport I really need the money but. It was just fun to like, yeah, buy something on clearance and sell it for like a ton of money, you know? And sometimes the the the, the variations are, you know, I once bought, you know, because sometimes, you know, people don't understand, sometimes Walmart just needs to get, and you're going to see, I think this year you're going to see this like crazy um, because the retailers are so overstocked with inventory right now. But, you know. Because they, everybody thought the sales numbers on the types of products that they were selling when people were kind of cooped up and living virtually, that those numbers would continue into perpetuity. Exactly. The COVID bubble, the COVID bubble, yes. the COVID bubble. That was a big part of what we've been dealing with the last two years is right. It's like growth is actually starting to normalize if you look at a normal trend line. But when you look at the hump with COVID, right, and how it just messed everything up, right, it, everyone looks like they're in negative growth phase. It's like, you're not actually really in negative growth phase. You just have to normalize the pandemic, right? And if you bring it back to normal, like you're still doing fine, but you know, tell that to somebody in private equity and they're going to say, oh, you're, you know, you're negative growth. You know, they'll try to shoot your value down and, you know, typical PE. Yeah. Anyone where like, you know, they're, if their sleeve collar doesn't match the collar on their collar, you know, it's like <laughs> usually the sign. Um, that, that's usually the sign of you know private equity. They're going to come in and you know you try to. Never been the biggest fan of people that have like the fanciest cufflinks and all that stuff in the room. You know what I'm saying? I'm no, like, I never. There's something. Really, it's just it's, it's a little. You know, it's funny when I started working in this industry, I wore a suit to one of the first conferences I went to, and I, and and people like don't ever do that again. Like the fact that I'm even wearing this dress shirt is probably like over the top for our, like, our clients. Don't like they don't. 
they think you're trying to sell something. In our industry, it's it's very weird. They get sold things that are just obviously not great. Like sometimes they get sold these courses for like 10 grand and you're just like, oh. but then if you try to sell them like, you know, an ounce worth of legal advice, it's like, no, I don't need it. I can use Google. Thank you. I can find everything I need on Google like, or tax advice. I, I can find it on Google. Fine. Um, the tax advice I see is, is just astonishing. You know, that's pretty much been outsourced to countries. Like, I, I mean, anyone and their mother is now like a bookkeeper. It's not even like, you don't even have to be a CPA. As you know, the tax industry is the most like unregulated. And it's, it's weird that something so complicated, the government feels no, like, you know, like anyone and their mother can say, hey, I'm a tax professional and then outsource all the work to like the Philippines. And then it's like, it's very cringy what I see in this industry. <laughs> I'll just be, I'll be honest. That's one of the hardest parts that, you know, it's like, Stuff like I used to watch on TV, like that you like, who would fall for this? Like, you know, and then it's like a lot of our clients do. I mean, a lot of this cringy stuff. It's like, so I, I guess I feel an element of like, I kind of want to protect them from that. Like, I don't really like, you know, if I can even get in the way of saying like, before you spend $5,000 on a course on how to go to TJ Maxx and buy something low and sell it high. Let me just like, why don't you just go to TJ Maxx with this this app and see if you can find something low to sell high by yourself? Like, it's really not that hard. Yeah, just try it. Just, yeah. just, just, just try it. You know, it's like, no, it's the worst that can happen. And I see a bad thing is people misinterpret information even when they read it. Like, I've been published in an article recently and I got a phone call from somebody and they're like, hey, is this, I saw read this article, it had your information. And then the guy asked me a question. He's like, hey, I'm thinking about investing in these, like, you know, uh, there was some country labeled on it and there were the, some municipal bonds for some tax advantaged income or something. And I said, well, I can't just give you information like out of like, the, I need to know a little bit about you. So I can I ask a few questions, right? So I asked the guy fundamentally a few questions and I said, respectfully, I go, you don't have a tax problem. And that's what you're asking me. The thesis of what you're at is I have a tax problem. I have a tax problem. I go, you have an income problem. You don't make enough money to have a tax problem. And I said, I mean that in a very respectful way, but stop reading tax articles. They're not relevant to you in your fact pattern, you know? Oh, I mean, yeah. Companies that make no money, like, you just started yesterday and you're making an S election. I want to cringe, you know, it's like, you have no expense. Like you literally just started your business. You've made no profit. Your sales are like $3,000 and you want to make an S election because your accountant told you to make an S, you know, your accountant with who outsources to the Philippines told you to make it. That's what they tell everybody to do. And they have the, the download my book on how you can pay your children and how you can do this. And it's always this, it's all from Tony Robbins or a subset of Tony Robbins of like how you can do that. And it's like, <laughs> because it's the same recycled material. Like I've seen that book a million different times from a million different people who none of most of whom have no accounting understanding. And it's like, yeah, make an S corp election. Why, why would you make an S corp election if you don't make any money? Like, why would you do that? Why would you want to spend money on filing another tax return in your life? You know, I mean, I'm not even sure I would even have an LLC at this point. It's like, it depends on what you're doing, but it's like, you know, if you're like, like if I'm going to Walmart and I'm buying like, Contigo coffee mugs and you know for three fifty for a pack of four and I sell them for fifty bucks and I do that a couple I'm not opening an LLC for that I'm just gonna right. I'm just gonna take that on my sketch see you know what I mean like like I'm not going to open an LLC just because I do that like I actually have to have a material amount of income and be serious like this is something I want to do for my life and that's why I tell my clients I'm like you don't I mean, I'm happy to take your money and open an LLC for you and do all that stuff but I'm also happy to tell you that. Maybe you should save your money and see if this is something you actually want to do in life. 
like real advice. It's so cringy the way other folks do it. And then, you know, I've had clients who before even starting their business, they'll register their business in all 50 states because they thought they had to. I mean, <laughs> I know, like, so now you have like 12,000 tax obligations at this point. Congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> and you've sold nothing. Right. All you have is expenses. And yet you, now you have to file tax returns. You're going to you're gonna have like 70 jurisdictions in Colorado are going to be expecting a tax return from you. Congratulations. You know. So we've talked about some of the obstacles and the, and the challenges and all the stuff that's going on and, you know, things that happen that shouldn't be happening. So what are the opportunities ahead? Like, where's this, where's the puck going in this whole deal? Where should somebody be, you know, looking for forward looking with what we know now with what we've learned from the past? What are the opportunities going forward for not only the customers you represent, but for your business? That's a very good question. I mean, we're a business that has been built on pivots, man. We've been pivoting since we started, right? We started in tax. We started with sales taxes. These sales tax demands are unconstitutional and we need to fight it. Uh, We moved into basic corporate structuring, smart tax advice, LLCs, not the stuff that you guys do, but just like the basics of tax, like, you know, open an LLC at this point. Um, basic trademarks, you know, copyright, intellectual property, obviously Amazon as is its own being is something we do very well. E-commerce now, and then M&A, right? 2019, 2020, all of a sudden now our clients are being acquired, right? So it was very cool. Like clients we kind of invested in, you know, we didn't charge an arm and a leg and now they're getting acquired for big bucks and, you know, we can actually bill and, and it, it pays off, right? But that bubbles burst. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I asked that question actually a lot. I asked that of my team, like, you know, where we are most valued right now is that we're very good at dealing with Amazon. I feel like that's not going away because there's always going to be Amazon. I think a lot of Amazon businesses are going to struggle next year, but there's always going to be a need. I mean, there's two or three million sellers in China, but there's a couple hundred thousand in the U.S. that are making a living off of this platform, you know, right? And they're going to need help. So we're going to be there to help them with their Amazon e-commerce issues. Mergers and acquisitions, exits. I mean, we were not nearly as much deal flow as last as 2021 as we had in 2022. was not as busy as 21. I'm not optimistic about 23 because I'm not optimistic about the economy. Like, I think the economy is not like, I mean, you look at the data and you see, okay, the American consumer is completely, completely just drained, Right. Consumer credit card debt is at its all-time max, right? And interest rates are at an all-time high. I don't know. And I've had this conversation. Like, This is the first sort of real recessionary environment for most Amazon sellers. Because in 2008, 2009, Amazon selling was not nearly what it was today, right? The last big market crash we had and the last big, even though, you know, it wasn't really a thing back then. You know, the fulfillment by Amazon network, the e-commerce railroad hadn't been built yet. How impactful is something like Bitcoin and kind of the collapse of crypto had on the on the e-commerce space? Surprisingly, not much. Other than that, I imagine some of our clients were investing in Bitcoin. Um, you know, I had a client once who sold his business for like two million bucks, and he was like telling me how he's going to put it all in Bitcoin. <laughs> Hopefully, you talk some common sense. I it. just said, you know, maybe not. <laughs> I was like, I don't want to say. You know, I don't want to burst your bubble. I'm just saying it's kind of risky. I mean, like, you know, I, I would set aside, you know, like a gambling fund, like you're going to Vegas with your friends and yeah, by all means, put that in, that amount in crypto. But 
Look, I hope nobody lost any money in crypto. I hope that nobody lost any money in crypto. And I know from the evidence of it that that's not true. But I can tell you this. I'm certainly not upset to not see like ridiculous posts on social media of to the moon, to the moon. I don't have a job to the moon. I'm yeah, to the moon. I mean, just the whole pump and dump. I mean, it's funny enough. Somebody who I, I knew in the Amazon space just got arrested for like $150 million crypto, crypto fraud. It's, I mean, it, it's so... Uh, they got arrested in Puerto Rico like last week. It's a crazy crypto is a crazy thing. The whole NFT thing is is strange to me. You know, can't get my fingers and my head around whether it's regulated or not, or should be regulated, whether they're actually legal. You know, are they, and they're not really copyrights. Like I I struggle with it, so I really just don't really not interested in it that much. Um, some people on my team are. I'm really really enthusiastic about wanting to learn more about NFTs and and the legal elements of it. I just I don't really though but I, I don't think crypto i mean our clients weren't selling rolexes so i don't think the crypto collapse has affected them that much but um you know i think the collapse of the american consumer is real because our clients do sell products that you know some of them sell products that are very basic and they they'll do fine but some of them sell you know splurgy items you know like during covid they sell like you know fancy kitchen items you know that great to splurge when you're sitting at home for you know for, for, and you have nowhere to go is you want to make your house look a little nicer and people have disposable income. But when people are really, really, when the well is dry and people don't have money and they're running up their credit cards just to make basic payments for basic needs, it's like, I don't know how that will affect our clients. I do think there will be an uptick in bankruptcies. I don't, I did work in the bankruptcy court when I was uh, in school. I'm not a bankruptcy lawyer, but maybe that's a pivot. We have to get into and just help our clients, you know, clean, you know, some of our clients may have to go that route. I don't know. I worry because I worry that China will also be, again, in a position to keeping their margins razor thin, especially with a high dollar. Right. High dollar is never good for the U.S. economy. It's right. People misconception, right. Makes our goods very expensive to the world. So people don't want to buy American. Right. Mm -hmm. So China can make stuff even cheaper. Our clients are struggling. I just, it's just not a good, you know, again, without some intervention or something, I, I don't know. I don't have a good outlook. So I think we'll continue to pivot. You know, we'll struggle, we'll survive, we'll fight, we'll find, you know, there'll, there'll still be MA and somebody will buy somebody. I think there will be. Um, but I honestly do not really have a good sense of, you know, the question you're asking is a question we, like I said, we ask all the time and I don't have a good answer for it. It's, it's but it's one we think about a lot. Yeah, I try to answer that question sometimes when my, when I talk to my clients. I say, look, knowing what I know in the situation that you're in with the information that I possess and my experience, here's what I think makes sense, right? Like, you know, I can't tell you from your perspective, but I can tell you from mine. And I see a whole bunch of that. Other, and here's what I think. Now, now, what I'm telling you might not make any sense to you, right? right. <laughs> you might not have a, the, enough perspective on it to understand and absorb it, but here's here's the opportunities that I see. So, no, I look, you're you're clearly an industry insider um, in that space because you, you know, you get to live vicariously through all of the, you know, business owners that you work with that are trying to navigate the opportunities, the obstacles and the challenges, whether they're, you know, competitive challenges, regulatory challenges, taxing, you know, issues that people deal with, you know, you're just helping them navigate that minefield and you get to learn exponentially faster than, than any one of your individual business owners because you get to learn from all of them. Yeah, I mean, that's the interesting thing about a practice, too, is that we, and I think what makes us 
accessible and affordable. So like, how can you as a lawyer, you know, you're working at big companies and they pay well, like, how are you making a living serving really small businesses? Well, there is an economies of scale to what we do because in reality, our clients' businesses are all kind of alike, right? I know they like to think that they're different, but they're not, right? There's They have a different brand, they have a different product, but you work with enough supplement sellers, you work with them all. You know what I mean? Like, like, like it's just... There's only like once you understand the industry, you kind of know everybody, right? Like, you know, like if you're nothing you're going to tell me is going to surprise me, most likely. You never know. Um, You work with enough people selling kitchen stuff. You know, it's like the issues are those issues. It's the industry issues. And we're used to the industry issues. So we're like our clients, I think, are always surprised, you know, when they tell us their story and they're surprised how quickly we're caught up to it. Like we're already ahead of, you know, I, I don't want to interrupt my client and not let them finish their story. Cause I don't want to, I don't want to feel like I'm not letting them be heard. But like the reality is it's like, I already know the ending to the story you're about to tell. <laughs> they're like, I've got the most unique story you've ever heard. Yeah. Do it. How, and three yeah. minutes in you're finishing their sentences and they're like, wait, <laughs> right. Exactly. And then did, did this happen? That how did you get? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Cause you're not a unicorn. <laughs> you're not a unicorn. Right. I mean, and that's it. It's just, you know, it's, it's more regulation. It may just be, it may be more having to feel regulation. Maybe we're going to be back in tax controversy again. You know, if, if, if our clients are getting audited, I mean, I worry about, I don't want, that's not where I want to go. I liked I like working in, in the exit field because at least it's like a happy event for your client. You know, they're happy to get out. Um, I'd like to see some return, but it's, I don't see it. I think, I think a lot of the brand buyers learned a harsh lesson during the last year, year and a half that it ain't easy to run these brands the way you thought it was. So I'm not sure that I'm going to see, I don't think there's a big desire to go back and acquire them. Plus the cost to acquire them has gone up substantially. I mean, consider where most of these private equity backed buyers of Amazon brands were borrowing. It was debt. Uh, think about what the cost of debt was in 2021 versus where it is today. It's a different story. So, I mean, the return yeah. expectations. And if you can't even drive returns when the debt was at that was at the 2021 rate, uh, I don't know what you think you're going to do today. So, I don't have a lot of optimism, I'll be honest with you, but I'm not worried either. It's like, we'll figure it out. There's always going to be something to do. And if not, then I don't know, I'll go back to GE or or one of those other, you know, some other company like that and just, you know, retire working a cushy in-house law job, which is one of the best jobs you'll ever have. That's why I say not all nine to fives are terrible. I did love my nine to five. I just felt, um, I felt, uh, time was right and it was just such an opportunity to take on these issues as somebody who felt connected to the community that was being affected by this and one of the most interesting constitutional law cases in my lifetime to be a part of that to actually lead that was pretty cool and that was you know what kind of motivates me the rest of it's just what we do but i do love the cases we work on the court cases we work on are just awesome so no, the world changes constantly and people aren't going to try to quit, you know, doing things and being creative and making money. And Amazon's not going anywhere and consumerism's not going anywhere. And I could think as long as those things all exist, there will be, you know, conflict and competition and rule violations and everything else. So I think you'll be gainfully employed. I'm not worrying about it too much. Yeah, I agree with you. If you ask me, I guess I sound more doom and gloom, but it's you're right. I like I think we just go with the flow and I think it'll be okay. We've been okay this far. 
I remember 2020, like February, March 2020, I, I was like, ah, we're done. This is over. This is nice. You know, turned out to be like the opposite because e-commerce was the only thing that was thriving in 2020. Right? Yeah. Right. We had to do a, like we had a lot of clients who were getting price gouging. Uh, we had to do like I mean we were, you know, defending our price gouging clients for pricing, which I stand by. We actually took a court case to the federal courts because we're like, wait a minute, like how can our clients be price gouging? Like one, Amazon actually controls the price, not my client, FYI. And I'm like, two, how can a state set the price on a national platform? Like in other words, how can a price law in Kentucky establish the price on Amazon because that law would then affect the availability and price of goods in New York. So I'm like, the law doesn't make it. We call it extraterritorial. So it's like, again, cool constitutional law stuff. And at the end of the day, we're like, at the end of the day, if somebody put $200 toilet paper on Amazon, one, it was probably a joke. And two, who should be blamed for not taking it down right away and letting it publish Amazon, right? They're the, it's their store. And it turns out, after all is said and done, the number one price gouger during the pandemic was, are you ready for this? Can you guess? Any guesses? Oh, the number one price gouger during the pandemic. The obvious answer to go with would be Amazon. And you would be correct. <laughs> what was the most egregious example of price gouging that Amazon? Came? I don't know, but it was all the sanitizer. It was everything. It was just everything. I mean, just collectively overall, if you look at the data, and this was in the antitrust committee report that I was actually one of the most cited per, cited resources in, but I actually didn't cite me on this. Um, this was like the public citizens research, but like just everything that, you know, was kind of considered, you know, important during the pandemic. Um, Amazon was number one price gouging. Now for bonus points, now, a number of my clients were investigated and and for price gouging and and you know even though they really weren't and they were actually being told by Amazon what the price should be and given signals and told them to go get this stuff and there's a lot behind that but for extra bonus points how many states actually investigated Amazon for price gouging none exactly <laughs> zero. They just went after the all they wanted to do and this is, again goes back to this whole sort of tyranny environment that we're in it's like. When you have platforms like Twitter and everyone wants to be famous on Twitter, especially politicians, politicians are the cringiest people. I can't stand them. Um, they all want to be famous on Twitter and AO, like AOC or whoever, and, and like AO, not AOC. I think AOC was like the original famous on Twitter politician to give her credit for that. I'm saying like all the other politicians want to be famous. So, of course, they all want to be, you know, like a typical politician, you know, it's like they want to showboat. So what do they want to do? Look how many price gouging prosecutions we had during the pandemic. Well, again, if you're being told that you owe, you know, they're going to come after you for everything that you own or, you know, whatever, they're going to throw the throw the book at you or you can settle for a thousand dollars. What are you going to do? You're going to settle the government for a thousand dollars. Right. So. And then they could publish a newspaper and say, look, we probably prosecuted these price gougers. And it was just such a, again, unconstitutional and complete bullshit. But they did it, you know, because I mean, you didn't have to sell two hundred dollar toilet paper on Amazon. You could have sold it in Facebook Marketplace or any place like that. It wasn't even the fact that you sold it for a certain price. They were I mean, it was like just by virtue of it. So let's just say, like, just so we're clear, like, let me tell you what the government was calling price gouging. Let's say you go to Home Depot in central Kentucky in February, before there's even a state of emergency, okay? And you buy 
N95 masks, which are being shipped to New York because that's where Amazon's customers are who need it or Seattle, right? Meanwhile, there's no pandemic apparently, right? This is you know, February, 2020. The markup of a mere 10% from what you paid for it to go. So you drove to the Home Depot in your state to go get those masks to ship to another state to hopefully prevent the spread of, of a disease, right? Amazon charges a minimum 10% on that type. There's a referral fee, right? It's more like 15%, I believe, right? So let's say you just want to cover your costs and break even. You're already price gouging. You're already presumed price gouging. <laughs> so you're going to get a subpoena from the government saying you were, you were presumed price gouging. And the government doesn't even know what price you were. They didn't even know the fact that you were selling the product at all. The fact that you even touched the product at any point in time from like January through March, because in March, eventually Amazon just took them all down. But it, the fact that you were touching any product like a hand sanitizer or a mask between January and March, you were basically subpoenaed. You were sent a subpoena. You were basically required to cooperate with the government or fight it, which is what we did. And it was ridiculous. It was like, and then so I'm like, you know, there's this presumption is absurd. You know, it's, it's, it, and, and, and it's a very expensive thing. And it's a very, and, and for these businesses, these small businesses, I'm like, this is the scariest thing they'll ever experience in their entire lives, probably, you know, like the scariest moment when the government sends them a document saying, you know, you violated this law that's very polarizing, you know, it's a very polarizing time. And they really didn't. Meanwhile, Amazon did all day long, as did Walgreens, as did a lot of other stores, and zero prosecution at that level. They just wanted these go after these little guys because they know they're easy targets. Right. They know they have to roll it. They can't defend themselves. So it's funny. I was on, I remember hearing stories, you know, about guys saying, yeah, that N95 mask was 65 cents like a year ago or something as a retail price. And somebody saying, yeah, um, he's the guys, guys like, yeah, but we got cases of them. We charge, you know, $10 a piece for them. You know, and right. the guy's like, it's a 65 cent mask. He's like, okay, I get it. Order some from the website and see if they get delivered to you at 65 cents. If they don't, what do you want to do? <laughs> right. I mean, there's a market, right. I mean, price gouging laws, if you think about it, are really designed for, there is no federal price gouging law, right? So it's state specific, right? right. So you basically had multi-state bidding across, you know, I saw at 95 mass in state contracts going for, you know, three, four bucks, even though they were 60 cents a piece. Right. But I saw states paying that much. Right. right. But if you think about it, like, you know, there is no federal price gouging law. So what is the point of a price? Gouging? You know, like you're in Florida, right? Like we live in Florida, right? There's a hurricane. Right. Hurricane blows the roof off of your house. You have no water. You've got no electricity. You've got no roof. So you got, you need a couple of things. You need food, you need water, you need shelter. So you walk out of your house, you go down to the street to the 7 Eleven. They charge you $200 for a bottle of water. Then you go to the Days Inn uh, across the street from that 7 Eleven. So do you have a place to stay? Normally they charge, you know, 70, 80 bucks a night, but tonight is $2,000, right? It's more expensive than, than the Four Seasons of Disney or whatever it is, right? That's price gouging. Right. That's the idea of price, right? These people are desperate in this moment of need, right? I'm not sure that N95 masks at the time, one, really, like COVID wasn't that, like at that level, it wasn't really, it wasn't the same. You know, it wasn't like you needed this right this second. People were supposed to stay in their homes. Um, the government really should have taken control and done, you know, made established some executive orders saying, here's what you do, Right. What the government should have done is they should have told Home Depot, do not sell N95 masks to anybody. Hold them for us, right? Right. 
They should have contacted the corporate arm of every organization in the country that had access to that type of thing. Correct. They said, freeze all sales of this, take it all off of the shelf. We're commandeering it for the federal right. government. I do keep in mind that in February, too, there was no, you could actually use an N95 for medical purposes. Like it wasn't until the March, uh, I forget what it's called, but it was the March uh, bill where they finally allowed, you know, cleared whatever liability was in the way. Uh, for them to say that they could be used for medical purposes. But yeah, that's my point. I don't think it was until Fauci said, because he had an endorsement from 3M to say, this is the improvement of the pandemic. Oh, don't get me started. Oh, yeah. They definitely were pushing 3M big time. (laughs) They were getting, because we had clients who were importing masks from China and they were getting, you know, and then the government was like yelling at them saying, like, you're you're meddling in our process. I'm like, how exactly? You know, is this because it's meddling in 3M's process? Is that is it because you they're not 3M masks, they're the the, the KN95s? I'm on. Uh, I'll tell you the saddest story of the pandemic is I, I had a client who was a legitimate, legitimate N95 mask seller before the pandemic, right? Never really sold product to just just the masks or other PPE stuff. Like for construction, right? Mass, okay, gotcha. Yeah, you know, for like something a painter or somebody or something like that. Yeah, gotcha. Like that's right. what they were. They were basically selling for construction people. So they had tons of the stuff, right? They couldn't move, and they were on the list. They were on like the F, uh, the NIOSH list. So you could actually look this company up, and you could actually look them up on the government website and confirm that they're legitimately selling NIOSH N95 masks and they made like no money during the pandemic they could not move nobody trusted them meanwhile i would hear stories of sellers who have no business in the mask business making millions selling what were likely garbage masks fake china masks how is that even possible that a completely legit retailer with massive amounts of inventory and supply chains manufacturing it's just the story of like just the stupidity of it all it just is i was astonished they just like nobody trusted them. Like nobody believed that they were legit because they just weren't. They weren't sick. hyped enough. They were just too calm about it. They're like, this is our business. We sell masks. Everybody else was like, the world's going to end. And I yeah. have to buy it from my I got boat. it. Yeah. Like I'm dealing with, you know, this company in China. They got a special allocations on the boat right now. It's coming. <laughs> da, 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 you know, I'm a broker in this space. And these guys were like, yeah, we've been in the business for, you know, it's like, what? We've been in the business for like years and we're on the list that the government publishes, which <laughs> nobody was getting on. Like the list has not been added to. Their salesman, their top sales guy needs to be fired. Bottom I don't line. think they had one, but I think that was part of the problem. They, they, they just could not get hospitals for anyone to buy their. It was just like nobody was buying their stuff. And they weren't even selling it for a lot. They were super reasonable. Their prices were never really that high. It was like they were just looking for the replacement costs and the modest they had, a bil- they had a billion of them in inventory. So it was... And then even Amazon kicked them off the platform for being... Oh, my God. You know, but like these scammers were like all getting on the platform and just... That could have been your only client had you known and represented them and got them to actually sell their product legitimately for like a 100% markup, which wouldn't have been egregious compared to what some of the pricing was no. if you had retired. If I had known at the time, I had not no idea, but I, I heard the story and I was like, I just like my heart fell to the floor for them. I'm like, why didn't you tell me? I didn't even, you know, I, it's just, it's sad. 
And it's just, it's just funny, but that's how crazy it was during the pandemic. You know, it was, it was nuts, but there was a lot of misinformation. You know, people were accused of, you know, the real price gougers were the ones or the Amazons and it was the Walgreens. They were all, I mean, if you wanted to find out by their definition, you know, and there are people who were accused of price gouging that, you know, before, you know, at a time when the president said there was nothing to worry about. Right. So if there's nothing to worry about, then we're not, a, you know, then we're still in a, we're still a capitalist economy. So like, what's the problem? Right. Like there's nothing to worry about. Right. You've got people, there's always going to be panicky peats in scenarios like that. If you're telling people anyway, that was, those were fun times. But like I said, I mean, I thought, I thought we were done. I thought it was over. I'm like, Oh God, this is just the whole economy is going to come crashing down. And I saw like the Dow go down to like 18,000. I'm like, okay, that's maybe a little too excessive. I'm like, and, and, uh, but then it just got, I mean, it was such a weird time, right. With, uh, everything that went on, you know, then you had the meme stocks coming out people got bored. Right. I mean, you had, you just literally like, I wonder, like, did the stock market become a casino that year? Like did like all the gamblers who couldn't get the Foxwoods or, or Vegas, like just, yes. You know, there was a book, there was a book on that and I read and it was on all the meme stops and I can't remember the name off the top of my head and it was super interesting. And let me see if I can, you know, it's true. So, cause that was my, that's like my fear. So when sports went away, yeah. Government. So here was the confluence of events. It's amazing that you bring that up. And it's really simple, right? So yeah. sports went away. Right. People weren't working. They had all this idle time. Yeah. Government stimulus checks went out. Yeah. So people had $500, $1,000 free money in their hand, right? And they were able to invest time in stuff that they'd never looked at before. They ended up in these subreddit threads and like, hey, and then and then that app, um, the stock app that came at Robin Hood. Robin Hood. Yeah. Became the gamification built into Robin Hood of the way you could trade easier. And they had a flaw in the way their original system was set up that it almost automatically defaulted everybody into a leveraged options-based account. Right. Oh, which geez. which if you apply for any other like TD Ameritrade, Charles Schwab or whatever you need. No, no, no. I, I remember I had a client who made like 150 grand a year telling me he got like a half a million dollars of leverage on Robinhood. Yes, yes. And so I'm like, what the? People were taking this $1,000 check, they were putting it into Robinhood and Robinhood had that gamification built into it where it would kind of tell you like Amazon, what other people are buying and what other people are doing. And here's what's, you know, here's a good trade, you know, and, and all this other stuff, the way it was. And I've never been on it, so I don't know, but I read I the book. It, yeah. it was amazing. It was interesting. And there were so many people that had turned such small, insignificant amounts of money into these massive amounts of money. But then the other side of it was, was all those people really were fundamentally for the most part believers and they all held on. And there's a term for them posting pictures of their account as it's losing hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars. They literally called it lost porn in all the chats. They're like, I'm so convicted to this idea that I'll post a picture of my account down a hundred grand over the day, but I still believe in it. And it's, and it's going to come back into the moon. Sounds like all the Tesla investors today. It's just, just that stock just keeps getting hammered. Oh, they're down sixty five percent year to date. Yeah. Oh. Was Elon Musk pay package is like more than the market cap of Tesla at this point? Is that like- I no clue. I mean, look, he's lost. He's lost his butt on Twitter. Like his personal net worth is down substantially from what's happened with Tesla. He just took a seven hundred and fifty million dollar investment today for SpaceX. Like I saw, it, I read on it this morning. So anyway, he's it's, raising it's money nuts. for SpaceX. Yeah, it's crazy. It's it's a tough stock. I mean, you like the product that you want. It's a tough stock. I mean, I was reading an article that said that like 
there's not enough raw materials in the world to get to 10% electric car adoption by 2030. I go to really big energy conferences like around the world. And so it's in our energy infrastructure barely exists well enough. Like, look, Texas had that brownout. Like oh, I remember, year, yeah, you know, yeah. Right, okay. That was with fossil fuels with an infrastructure that's existed. How in the world do they think we're going to create a new separate infrastructure to support EV and green and all the other stuff that needs to happen that is going to replace fossil fuels aren't going anywhere well beyond 2050. And regardless of what people think, and this might be a controversial topic, but it's not going anywhere. I like electric. I like the concept. I like the idea of you know, smog-free car yeah. driving, you know, it's like, everybody likes know, clean air. Yeah. Who doesn't, but the numbers don't lie. Right. Like it is what it is. Statistics are right. It's like, like everyone says, trust the science. So all the science on electric cars, uh, we're not, it's not going to get there. I drive one. I'm not, I'm not, I don't go to Tesla, but I, I, I like them, but I don't think everyone's going to have one. I mean, I think the, the tax incentives on them are really good for a while. So you could play the, you know, and if you didn't have a, t- the problem with Tesla was they lost their tax incentive early. So, but, you know, companies like Ford, they, their tax incentive was, was, you know, before the recent change in the tax law under the old tax law, where you just got 7,500 bucks from the government, Toyota, Ford, they're great opportunities to, to take advantage of those and, and get a good price on a car that was electric. I mean, why not? But we're a long ways away. I'm using my bonus depreciation on my 179 on my 6,000 pound. <laughs> you got your 6,000 pound vehicle? <laughs> Somebody I knew did that. They bought a Land Rover that was electric. So the Land Rover qualified, but I thought you couldn't get the, the rebate if you did that. But the Land Rover like qualified for the $7,500, but it was also 6,000 pounds. Right. But I don't know if you could both. take the 7500 as a business. I thought you couldn't take it. I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I didn't go electric. Mine's gas. Yeah. It was like a, it was a partial, you know, it was one of those words like gas electric, where it's like a lot yeah. for like 30 miles and then it turns into a gas car 20 miles. And it's like, so, you know, like the Chevy Volt approach to it. But um, those qualify. If the, if the battery was big enough, it qualified for a $7,500 credit, just like the other cars, whether they were full electric or not. So it's great. Well, Paul, this, this has been fun, man. Hey, we've done this for a little bit. Any closing thoughts or any ideas? Like, you know, any any closing thoughts? Anything we didn't cover? No, I mean, I just, you know, if you're out there and you need help, I encourage you to work with professionals. I mean, stop stop reading Google and stop getting your advice from Google. I'm going to tell you this ounce of prevention. Our law firm thrives on preventative medicine. The reason we're not a litigating firm, we're not a court firm, is because our whole philosophy is to give our clients out of court yep. because that's the last if you're there we've already lost yep so whether that's for legal like the services we offer or you know financial tax and estate planning and stuff like you work on like stop reading because the the, the the content even the lawyer's content to a point we have to you know it's general but we have to learn your situation you know yep. And part of what learning your situation is learning your risk tolerance, right? That's what I was telling you. At the end of the day, decisions are made every day about your business with our clients. Every day they make a decision about the business, but the decision is based in part on our advice. But ultimately, we're just we're giving you the advice. You're the decision maker. It's your risk tolerance. And so it's I always say it's really my job to help you make an informed decision. I'm not making a decision for you, but I'm making sure your decision is an informed one. And you know, you understand the risks, the pros and the cons. And I so Work with professionals. 
and uh, I think you'll find life will be much easier. And that's all I can say about that. That's how I like yep, I would agree. Factor in the cost early of, of good tax and legal advice. You know, when you're building something, don't just think, hey, I'm going to address this when ultimately I get hit with the catastrophic event or whatever it is in a crisis situation. Yeah. And like your guru or coach doesn't know. That's the pet peeve of it all, too. It's like when I talk about the people who, you know, get their LLCs from LegalZoom and then file an S-Corp the next day, but yet they haven't made a dollar. It's because they're guru. You yeah. Know? told them to it's like if so the world doesn't guru, need, the world doesn't need another guru yeah like you know maybe a guru knows i don't know i don't want to be mean your guru but like doesn't they don't have to know everything sometimes we really piss me off i'll tell you this when the gurus would say first step one go on legal zoom and set up your wyoming llc that way you don't have to pay taxes okay first of all, that's wrong on so many levels but okay <laughs> and then they, now, by doing that, you will spend, you know, hundreds of dollars on a LLC on LegalZoom. And I saved you thousands of dollars. You know, do, do you know what a lawyer would have charged you for that advice? Thousands and thousands. So you've already made your money back on my guru just by going to LegalZoom and signing up for a Wyoming LLC and saving on your taxes, which is all just terrible advice and wrong. <laughs> and clearly, no, nobody understands what the point of like the LLCs is. It's, it's not the physical, like, creation of the LC that's the problem. It's it's all the other paperwork that, that you don't file with the government. Like anyone, yes, I'm aware. Anyone go on a Wyoming website or Delaware website or your state website, in most cases it's not that complicated to legally create an LLC. Whether you want it to protect your assets is another story. I wouldn't rely on that LLC in that case. You know, there's more to the story than that. And that's often what's omitted the important stuff. So factor that cost in, go see your professionals. Don't do it. DIY is a terrible approach. You know, you wouldn't DIY your own brain surgery. I use that. I'm like, I'm like, you would not DIY your own, like in the medical field, people would never DIY it themselves for the most part. Why in finance, legal, tax, like do people think it's okay to DIY it? Although I think they do. I think, I actually think people probably do, right? Like how many times they probably go on like Google or WebMD, right? I guess like sometimes they do. Like insert drill, you know, here. Press ever so lightly, but yeah, you know, I think they, I've they, met that person. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's like make sure you apply anesthesia prior to drill. <laughs> it's unfortunate. It's just it's sad because it's just it's everything's preventable. If you want an LLC, it's because you want you know one of the reasons you want an LLC is is to protect your assets. So, what's the point of doing it yourself if you want a garbage LLC that's probably not going to protect your LLC? I mean, if you just want an LLC to look cool in front of your friends, yeah, by all means, do it yourself. That's cool. If you want to look cool in front of your friends, do it. If you want to understand why an S-Corp is important, talk to a tax professional. If you want to understand what other tax planning opportunities are out there, talk to a tax professional. I mean, it just, it, you know, and there's so many garbage tax advice I, I've seen out there too. I mean, this is the um, just work with, you know, some the, the, the doctrine of if it's too good to be true, keep that in mind too, because there's a lot of people look at their credentials, look what they have accomplished and really do your homework, do your due diligence on anybody. Okay. And just because your friend and just because your friend recommends someone, not a good reason to go to someone. That's another thing. I mean, I say that even though I get recommended by a lot of people, but it's not enough because sometimes people just like to, you know, we all like to think that we buy the best, right? We always like, this is mindset. When we buy, you know, brand A versus brand B, you know, we get attached. You know, I'm Apple versus Android. I buy Apple because I think Apple's the best. I think Android, right? So then you're going to recommend Apple because you're just, it's your bias, right? <laughs> I see the same thing with, with advisors. So don't, just because somebody recommends them to you, do your due diligence, but but definitely work with an advisor and, and uh, 
yeah. Otherwise, have fun out there. There you go. Well, Paul, I appreciate it. Everybody, this was this was Matt Chancy, Tax Alpha Solutions Podcast. Today's guest, um, attorney uh, Paul Raffleson, uh, specializes. If you are in the business of e-commerce and looking to build, grow a business, all the obstacles and challenges you face, he's definitely someone that you need to look up. Um, great advocate to make part of your team and uh, help you get there. Um, plan sooner than later. So, thanks so much for being a guest today, and thanks everyone for being a listener. And uh, we'll talk to you again. Take care. Bye. Thank you for listening to another episode of Tax Alpha Solutions brought to you by Matt Chancy. We hope you enjoyed listening to this week's guests and insight. If you liked what you heard, please consider subscribing wherever you listen to podcasts. 